You are listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin with The Good News. Hey, Angie Austin here. We're just uh, in the breaks, you know, as we're getting ready and everything for the show to start. Uh, welcome, friend, by the way. Uh, we just chit-chat, and we're talking about marriage and how, uh, you know, our husbands and ourselves, for that matter, are different people than we got married. And I was th- thinking about I couldn't Donna. hear you, and Michelle's Donna gesturing. Was, I'm like, um, I don't know. I was just saying, Donna was a teenager when she met her husband. Oh, yes. And talk about the changes you guys have been through being married how many years now? Wow. Uh, we've been together 33, oh. and December 9th, oh, we're... Um, celebrating 29 years. Okay, so, so have, does he have you? Do you feel like you've had different stages of your marriage? Yes, we're even in one right now, and it's something I shared. You know, at Overwhelm, that um, at the end of last year, David was saying he felt very disconnected from me, and I'm like, oh. wow, okay, you know, what has happened? And it felt like the the floor of my world, you know, just fell out because you adore him. I adore him. He adores me, right? And what we found is we we're so emotionally fused, right? Because we grew up together. We yeah, wrote our marriage vows like as kids, and you. You know, we didn't know any, you know, what does this really mean when you go out into life and apply it and do all of this? And we were so entwined with one another and we love each other so much. But, you know, how do you get to a point where you get kind of disconnected and how do you rediscover that and talk through it and and communicate on the same levels? So, yeah, there's been this, just like you had said, you know, the lakeside. You yeah, know, I joke around that <laughs> our, our marriage was Disneyland for a good 10 years and now it's been like lakeside the last year. The Groupon. Yeah, with the, the Groupon. Group <laughs> yeah, the Groupon. You know, there's like you get one free drink and like, but there's five of us. No, there's one free drink. That's all you, you got to all share it. No, but just that he's been under so much stress, but I know he's in there. And so, and I'll see glimpses of him when I can get him away from the stress of work. But stress is, uh, work has also made him more of a pessimist, which, and I'm not a pessimist. Right. So I'm always trying to look at like the bright side of life. And, you know, I like to play this little, like as a joke, I'll put this little bunny on the table that sings, you're, you are my sunshine. He oh, rolls cute. his eyes. You yeah. Know? Because, um, and his, his brother is a cop. Like, so he also deals with that, you know, a segment of society that sometimes is, you know, getting, doing bad things. And so if you're all day long arresting people, you know, breaking in or at a shooting or to this or that, it makes you um, pessimistic about mm-hmm. life, cynical. And so I don't, my husband wasn't cynical when we got married and now he's a little more hardened. And so even though he's still my best friend, I've seen um, him change with the pressures and stress of having a startup for five years and, uh, you know, uh, and having 30 employees and, you know, other people maybe not caring about your business as much as you do, et cetera. And me being at home, still loving him just as much but um, he needs more compassion from me than he did when he was younger you know he was pretty um, uh, happy-go-lucky I think when I met him and very positive and that's something God gave me about because I've been with my husband ever since I was 16 years old so I was 15 (laughs) yay (laughs) so we've we've been together for I don't want to get this wrong in case he hears it, but I forgot. <laughs> we've been married for 16 years. I got a calculator here for you. <laughs> so, but we've been together ever since we were 16. But I think um, we grew up together. And so when he's my best friend, so when pe- those bouts come in our relationship where we kind of have to push through to stay connected because you got to make sure you grow together right 
and in order to stay connected and like you miss donna we're so emotionally fused yes. it's like when i'm i if i'm not feeling good emotionally he can feel that he'll keep saying what's wrong what's wrong yes. what's wrong and i'm the same way with him but um for men i think it's different because they feel like they're so strong and they can't really tell us when yes. something something yes bothering them because and of society and sometimes depression for men mm -hmm. comes out as anger i didn't yeah, realize that right. like they're depressed yeah. it can come off they're angry uh -huh. right. When they're having, when they're struggling and really anxious yeah. and overwhelmed, and then you're like, "What? What are you angry about?" And then you like start to process it, and you're like, "Wait a second, they're not really angry. Mm -hmm. They're under a lot of pressure." Mm -hmm. And then it's like the top of a tea kettle when it gets heated up and it whistles. Yes. that's like when they yell. Yeah, I, I think. And kinda. I, I went when my husband when he he had like six surgeries within two years after he was done playing, and Whoa, he um. He was seeing so many doctors. He still is um, on so much medication, and it, it came across as he was so worried about his body and feeling like um, he kept apologizing, saying that he was sorry. Um, mm -hmm. He doesn't want me to have to take care of him. And that's a period that we really had to push through. Yeah, he really had to push oh, through it. that period because to go from playing football, being one of the strongest men in the country, in the world, one of the best athletes in the world, to then your wife has to take care of you because you have six surgeries, like back to back almost. That's a huge like reality slap in the face of like mm -hmm. that recovery that is tough and then to have that role where you're taking care of him so i was just saying that it's like we have different mar like there's different marriages mm -hmm. i mean even but though we're I married can to the same to, people to it's Monique's. different stages yeah okay. because in 2008 you know dave was doing very well and he was an established builder and had his own business we had nine homes uh, three parcels of land a huge bank account and then 2008 hit and we were left with two million dollar properties what are we going to do with all this he lost his identity because he couldn't work anymore and so like you, I had to step up and lead financially and then drag him along emotionally. And I didn't realize how depressed he was or how uh, wrapped up in his identity and his work he was, you know. Um, and, and you so, think you're saving him and he's feeling kind of emasculated, yes, even though you had to. Right. I, I had to. Um, but I, I, what I'm seeing now is that I enabled way more than I should have because we're so fused, right? It's like, you know, he starts to feel bad. I want to rescue. I want to, okay, let me help you. We'll do this fix flip and let's, I'll figure it out for you. And, you know, it didn't let him step up as a man. And I knew that I couldn't rescue Andre. I knew that it was something that he had to do. Yeah. And God had to do. And he had to step up and be like, okay, God, here I am. Right. So, but God gave me at that time. He took me to the scripture where it says wives undergird your husbands. Mm -hmm. So I just went all out in prayer. I would be like, okay, God, you give me specifically what I need to pray. And we were talking about um, in the past two, two months what he was going through um, during that time. And I went back to what the stuff God had gave, given me. And I was like, wow, because it spoke directly to what to he what was going needs. through awesome so it's like although we were kind of disconnected at the time god was in the center of it all right so he kept us connected and i was able to undergird him in prayer and just pray because i'm not one of those people like 
even though when people see us we may be together a lot you but we're are. not together 24 7. <laughs> you sure about that yeah thing? i don't know i've never actually i've never seen the two wait, of them separate yeah, it's like right, no only in this studio have i ever seen them separate right. and he's waiting outside right now right you're like the reverse <laughs> superman like you never see the one without the other <laughs> on the lunch we're going to lunch <laughs> so it's usually he's like you want to go eat after this? <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I love how you that. say push through, though, because yeah. you do yeah. have to push through. And, and uh, there's there's hard times in marriages, and there's times where you feel really distant and disconnected, and you push through, and you work through it, and you talk through it, and sometimes you have your own voice in it. And, you know, there's just um, there's no black and white to marriage and human nature. It is very gray, and everybody's experiences are different. And so working through that and being prayerful, like you said, and asking God, what to do in it and uh and we're pushing through and it's been hard we've learned a lot about each other and i'm going you know holy toledo how have we been together for 33 years and we're just discovering some of the things you know about family that bothers us or uh really you know upsets him or really bugs me and how how are we doing that so anyways it's it's pushing through and and really doing it so because a lot of people don't realize that you change and you grow and you have to keep that your spouse included in that. And we yeah. want to give you hope. So if you have been divorced or if you're having a tough time, this is not a judgment. This is a more of a, it's not always easy. And that, you know, um, what did, Dr. Phil isn't somebody I watch. My mom does know him again <laughs> with the Dr. Phil mom. Uh, but he does say something um, about how you have to earn your way out. And so earning your way out means you do everything you possibly can to make it work, if possible, depending on the issue. You know, there are certain things that you, you know, can't work out if there's domestic violence, et cetera. Um, but that you have please don't just give up because I've seen marriages like even uh, I think of like Kathy Lee Gifford. I mean, goodness gracious, her husband was caught on video cheating on her years ago and they were able to some and everybody i think society oftentimes tells us get out you know and you've you've been wronged you deserve to be get out you it's easier you dump them it's easier to you get, know, out. get rid of them whatever yeah. but um and i believe me I, I i i can't you know i haven't walked in everyone's footsteps and but i do think that there are times when maybe the younger generation sometimes i feel like well you know it was fun last year it's not fun this year so let's get out like please don't just give up on a marriage because it's not as fun as it was in the beginning because there will be years that aren't as fun you know right, right. and even if you're in your second or third marriage like you said there's no judgment but it's figuring it out how it works how to push through whether it's the first the second or third or what have well, you i see and I, I don't you know want to lump all millennials together but i see like this thing with jobs for instance like you know, my husband interviews a lot of people that switch jobs every six months. Well, why did you, well, I just didn't like it anymore. Well, there's a lot of day. I think, I think of my TV career and how many news directors I went through and some that, you know, couldn't stand me and some that loved me. And some, I remember one hired me cause he liked it, that he thought I was funny. And then he came to me and said, please don't be funny anymore. It's <laughs> like, okay, uh, that's hard for me cause I'm very funny. You uh, are funny. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well that's super weird. And then I think I told you guys later on, I found out that it was the guy above him, the general manager, his wife didn't like me. Oh. And so she didn't want me joking around on the morning show, which is what morning shows are for, I thought, to have a little fun. Dave loved um, you. Did he tell you that at Overwhelm when you guys uh -uh. got to talk? He's no, always your husband like, did not tell me that oh, he loved he, me. He uh, absolutely <laughs> adored you. And when you went off air, he's like, oh. 
Angie is gone. And how am I going to see the weather and the news? And I mean, he, he followed you so much. He absolutely loved you. But, and you are funny. Up. But do you ever do the, um, that was funny? Because I do that, right? I'm like, that was funny. And David goes, if you have to tell somebody it's funny, it's, it's not, not funny. funny. Oh, that is <laughs> so I always funny. tell my middle daughter that. Yeah. Because she is like, mama, I'm so funny. I crack myself up. And I'm like, Amber, if you're the only one laughing at yourself, it wasn't that funny. And Alicia chimes in, mama, I tell her that all the time. She says, she's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> cracks me that up. was funny <laughs> but you know, so i guess my point is that my you know jobs there are many years they weren't fun or you'd have a news director that wanted to run you out and then you get a new one and they want to bring in their own people and then you you know survive through to the next one and news directors change like every two years it seemed like so if you were you know your if, if you get your contract outlived them then you'd get maybe another one that liked you and then you get a new contract like oh exhausting but these millennials are just like, well, I didn't like it, or I was sick of it, or my husband fired someone recently, and she said, oh, I was going to quit anyway. Wow. <laughs> I'll remember that when your new, you know, potential boss calls me up. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. But I just said that, and so whether it be giving up on our job or giving up on a relationship or giving up on a friendship, like I just think um, we need to make sure that we invest enough uh, to let the uh, relationship, job, friendship, whatever it may be, uh, flourish. And sometimes uh, it's, a, it's a rocky process, you know, to get to the beauty of a long-term friendship or a long-term marriage or job, you know, that's rewarding. And I'm not saying that it, it's, there are times, you know, to move on. And I stayed in a lot of my jobs a really long time. I think I've been here eight years, six, seven years, the one before that, 11, the one before that, 11. And even in high school, um, and I kept the job for seven into, you know, into college. So I, that's, I guess, my thing. But, you know, and that wasn't fun. I didn't, like, love cleaning the morgue or the emergency room or any right. of that stuff. But it paid well, and I knew it would put me through school. So I don't know. I just think that we need more stick to itiveness. Yeah. I'm not saying staying in marriage is horrible. You know, I'm not saying that either. You know, that's just a, a nightmare, like old school, the way people did that and they sure. hated each other, you know, and, and that, I'm not saying that either. I'm saying, you know, try to make things work. Give it a shot. And find a new dance. Um, we get stuck in old dance patterns, um, even with David and I, how we argue about stuff, you know, and I can now identify patterns of, oh, he's dragging me over here, or I'm doing that to him. And okay, how am I going to change that? Because change is really hard. It's easy to stay in those same patterns and do what is normal to you or comfortable or keeps anxiety down, or maybe this isn't a good time to bring this up, you know, and, and really change up those dynamics and that dance. And do you want to win or do you want to be loved? Right. And maybe I give in too much on things. I'm just like, is it that important to like, feel like I won this argument? Do you want to win or you want, do you want to be loved? And so many times I'll just say, you know what? I'm sorry. I know that got a little heated and then he apologizes right away. Yeah. And so do, did I really lose because I apologized first? No, I actually feel like I won. Yeah. Sure. You lost the battle, but you won the war. Nice. Because he apologized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I always hear, like, I'm so sensitive to the voice within me. So when God is like, be quiet, let it go. Like, I've, I've learned to pick and yeah. choose my battles. And the Lord always reminds me of, of the scriptures. Sometimes I be sometimes I'm like, okay, God, but I'm right. And then God will be like, but sometimes you have to give up your right to obtain more righteousness. So wow. I just, okay. I'm like, okay, God, 
I'll feel that with my kids too when I've like yeah. really if Oof. I'm drilling some because I'm tough I think mm. and when I'm drilling something in on them you know that they something they've done that I expected of them or I'm disappointed in after like a certain amount you know I can tell I, I feel that wave come over me like I want to keep talking but you, and I just feel that like okay it's it's enough right right that's good to be honed into that yeah well, I call with my it... husband too like okay this is don't let this go any further like you said that just, yeah yeah and, and and I know that's hard you know, because some people don't like apologizing or don't like losing. They want to win. The, and my husband does like to win the argument. So I'm mean, like, let him. <laughs> I let him. And that's, and, then, and then he apologizes. You know, and then, uh, you know, after, I, uh, but usually after I do. What's funny, he thinks he apologizes first. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's always me. I don't recall that apology. <laughs> uh, yeah, it must have been the silent apology. <laughs> and your kids watch That's your funny. interaction with your husband. Totally. Oh, my, my son and I have the biggest joke about the time. Didn't I tell you when Daddy, um, we were like headed out, you know, for a vacation. And uh, and, and he goes, uh, he said something to my son, like, in the, is my suitcase back there? And, and Riley's like, no, Daddy, it's not back there. And he's like, and he looks at me. He turns, he has the audacity to look at me. He goes, you didn't, pack, you didn't put my suitcase in the car? I'm like, what am I, the family mule? No, I didn't put your suitcase in the car. I you put your own suitcase in the car. So we turn around and drive all the way back. It was like another hour, right? Because we wow. had to drive back and get oh. it. And so he's all, you know, huffy. And he walks in the house. And I said, I turned around to Riley because he was old enough to understand. I said, Riley, watch how mommy changes the whole day. Watch this. So he gets in the car. And I said, I'm really sorry that I didn't put your uh, suitcase in the car. Sorry about that. Oh no, that's okay. I should have done it. You're you're right. I, I'm sorry too. And I look back at Riley. Wink. <laughs> and then we had a great trip, right? And I've shown him a couple of times when we're out. And we, you know, we, we like adventures. I like mm -hmm. family. I, I, I like family adventures. And so when we're out one of these adventures, I teach the kids like you can let the whole day be ruined, and you can ruin this beautiful sunset. And we're like up in the mountains, and we're at a lake, or we're wherever we are. You can let this whole day be ruined with a grudge, or you were wronged, or whatever. And I said the sign of a leader is if you can turn it around and just on a dime just go, okay, let's move on from this. Let's have a good time. And many. Many times I'll bring that up to them and show them how when dad and I are maybe having a disagreement, how I'll change the whole tone and make a great day for the family by apologizing to him or whatever. And if it's all, if that just is like the switch that allows him then to go, oh, well, she admitted that, you know, uh, then I, I won, I was right. Then he right away apologizes back. So, you know, I'm sure it would be more difficult if you had someone who wasn't a nice person and my husband truly is a nice person. Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be more difficult if you both really wanted to win and you were just going to battle it to the death, you know, until, <laughs> you know, you, you won. But I don't like those silent treatments. I've had friends whose husbands didn't speak to them or for passive days. passive aggressive. Or, yeah, that's, that's uh, tough. No. Yeah. It's got to be fair. And I don't hear you saying sweep it under the rug or not talk about it because you've got a voice. So it's like, here's the problem. Okay, and I'm sorry this happened, and now we can move on and have a good day. And you gotta communicate, right? If if God is calling us into communication and have a relationship with Him, and He knows our thoughts and our our heart our hearts, but He wants us to voice it still, yeah. then what do you think about other relationships that you're in that that people don't know your hearts, they don't know your thoughts, they don't, you know, they don't know those innermost, deepest, darkest secrets. You ha communication is a key. Even if it's if it's a hard thing that you have to talk about, communication is the key because I believe and God gave me this 
when something is in the dark, it gives it room for it to grow. Yes. Well, that's interesting. Well, if you and, don't bring it up. Yeah. If you yeah. Don't. We're yeah. almost out of time. Um, I do. Uh, I do admit that um, we had the fish tank fight of 2013. But it's funny that I still remember the fish tank fight of 2013 because I don't want to have it again. Yeah. You know, and so like that's a joke with the kids that that was our last big fight <laughs> in 2013, the fish tank fight, because uh, I didn't want the fish in the first place. But anyway, um, with that said, there's no judgment, though, if your marriage didn't work. I don't want you Absolutely. to think that we're talking here about like, oh, you should have made it work. No, what we're saying is if you're going through a rough patch right, right now, don't give up hope. Keep trying and do all you can. Look for help. Find a Christian counselor. Talk to a friend that really, you know, maybe is supportive of your marriage, making it work. Um, but if you can't make it work, um, what I'm saying is you know, do, just don't give up on everything in life, your job. And I just see a lot of millennials. It's a problematic thing, right. giving up too easily. All right. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, go to AngieAustinRadio.com. We'll be right back. The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. This is a very special season, Christmas and Thanksgiving. But do you know that a short plane ride from where you're sitting right now, kids live in desperation. In the country of Moldova, a communist country, highest alcoholism rate on earth, and trafficked girls by the tens of thousands. Your giving today can transform an orphan's life, from a life of being trafficked and used and abused up to 50 times a day into a princess of the kingdom of God. You have power in your giving today to change someone's life forever. KLTT.TheOrphansHands.org KLTT.TheOrphansHands.org Or phone number 1-800-205-7100 Philip Cameron for the Orphan's Hand saying we appreciate you and Merry Christmas. Hi, it's Angie. Hey, do you have a lot of things around your house you want to get rid of? My husband wants me to get rid of anything and everything that is in his way. 303-238-JANE. I love ARC. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps and everything you donate helps. 303-238-JANE. They bring a truck right to my house. I actually have them come every month or two and it is so helpful to get that place cleaned out because you know what? My husband's a lot nicer to me when I donate things and who better to donate to than ARC? 303-238-JANE and arcthrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. Arcthrift.org, shopping with a purpose. I love Arc. Rejuvenation on the Rocks is a cutting-edge medical facility in Greenwood Village that will help you look and feel your best. For years, Roxy O'Brien has been transforming lives using non-surgical, cutting-edge treatments like Botox, microderm treatments, facial fillers, and the revolutionary Cool Sculpting to help you look and feel the best you can. With these non-invasive and effective procedures, you will start to see a difference almost immediately. And right now, as a loyal Good News listener, you can get the Rejuvenation on the Rocks special of buy three treatments and get one Cool sculpting treatment free. Plus, all through the holidays, Roxy is offering an additional 15% off any treatment just for mentioning Angie Austin and Friends. Plus, all new clients will receive a free microderm treatment with the purchase of a cool sculpting package. Call Roxy at Rejuvenation on the Rocks at 720-328-9094 or go to Rejuvenation on the Rocks, that's Rejuvenation on the R-O-X dot com 
to schedule your special good news holiday treatments. And be sure to tell Roxy you listen to Angie Austin and receive your special pricing deals. YMCA of the Rockies is the place to take your family. It's like a destination vacation in your own backyard. This year at SS Park Center, we'll be hosting family snowshoe hikes, backcountry ski meetups, outdoor winter survival trainings, winter ecology hikes, and much more. We'll have guest speakers, excursions for every level of experience, and demos by popular mountaineering equipment brands. Visit ymcarockies.org for more information. That's ymcarockies.org. O-R-G. Hi, it's Angie. Thanks so much for listening to the good news. If you like the good news program and you'd like to support us, we need to partner up with businesses to keep this show going. I'd really like to keep it on the air and I need advertisers in order to do that. And I'd love to partner with you and help you build your business or your website. Maybe you're a nonprofit and you'd like to do an interview and you'd like to donate to us so that we can help you get donations as well. AngieAustinRadio.com, AngieAustinRadio.com. Just click on contact me. I would would love to partner up with you. I think this is a great program. We've been on the air for about seven years now, and I think a lot of people have gotten a ray of sunshine and some faith and even a little fun from this program. So if you'd like to support us, please go to AngieAustinRadio.com. We would like to help you build your business or nonprofit as well. AngieAustinRadio.com and click on contact. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you build your business. Hello and welcome back to the good news. This is producer Dave. I'm sitting in for Angie Austin. Um, this is our next installment in this new series of interviews we're going to be able to do where we found this vein to a bunch of books that we thought our listeners, all our good news listeners, uh, are going to really like all these books. And a lot of times the schedules just won't line up. So Angie has given me permission to sit down with some of these authors and really dive deep into the ideas of these books and hopefully we'll get you all that out there listening and you all there thinking about all these different topics and everything that's going on with these books and so today i have a very special author dr rob reno he wrote this book called visionary parenting capture a god-sized vision for your family it's this book it all starts with an understanding of our role as parents and where we stand with god and how we teach you know, God's love to our children. And he's, uh, Dr. Reno says the most, most of our homes reflect God's structure for our family. The, or the, the more our homes reflect God's structure for our family, the more our hearts and our children will be at peace. And I think this is a, such a beautiful idea. And, and, and I want to know a lot more about how Dr. Rob Reno got to this idea and what led him to believe all this. Thank you so much for being here on the show, Doctor. Well, thank you. I've been looking forward to this. So let's let's dive right into it. So uh, I heard that something happened to you in the summer of 2004 that really turned everything around. You want to tell us a little bit about what happened and really what led to Visionary Parenting? Yeah, absolutely. So 2004, my wife Amy and I had been married for 10 years. Uh, we had four children. We have seven now, praise God. But we had four then. And for those first 10 years, uh, I was a youth pastor. And my heart and my passion was passing my faith to other people's children. So I'd pray with other people's children. I would read the Bible with other people's children. I'd take them on retreats and mission trips and all this. And it was a wonderful season of ministry. But the problem was, is that I was so busy trying to help other kids follow Jesus, I was neglecting my own kids. I, I wasn't even praying with my kids, reading the Bible with my kids. I, I was a very passionate spiritual leader at church. 
and very passive in my house. And that summer of 2004, God really brought me to a place of brokenness and repentance and, and turned my heart to the ministry of my kids and just convicted me that, hey, my, my ministry for God begins in my house, begins in my marriage, begins with, with our little ones. And uh, that sent us down a journey uh, for the last 14 years now of, of bumbling and stumbling along, trying to learn what, is it, what does it mean to live for Christ at home you know, in our family relationships. Really, that's great. I mean, sometimes it takes those big hits to the head to make sure that, you know, that God tells us that we have to be listening, and sometimes it takes a pretty major thing. Um, I can see how getting lost in your job can help you, you know, or can make it so you can kind of neglect your kids at home a little bit. You know, they're so, you, you think that, oh, I'm doing a fine job, so they're fine. It's really all the other kids that need my help. Now, you say in your book that there's a very clear definition of the purpose of parenting. And I'm curious about that because I've never heard anyone say it exactly like that, uh, be just because it seems like there's so many avenues and so many people saying, oh, parenting is this, parenting is that. Now, can you tell me like, a little bit more about what this definition is you're talking about? Well, I'll just give you my wife's and my conviction, and this is not a, uh, well, such and such verse says the purpose of parenting is this. But we've become so convinced and driven by the great commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment in the Bible? And, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. We, we call it the great commandment. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. And listeners, I mean, you, if you've been around church, you've probably heard that before. The great commandment, love God, all that stuff. But if you keep reading... The next two verses speak to parents, and they speak to family, and they speak to the home. So it's love God with all your heart. These commandments I give today are to be upon your hearts. And then God speaks to parents. He says, teach them diligently to your children. Other translations say, impress them on your children. And then this action step of talk about God's Word when you sit at home. And so that scripture, along with a lot of others, absolutely convinced Amy and me that, that the purpose of parenting, like why would God give us kids? I mean, that's the million-dollar question, right? Why would God entrust immortal souls to our care? And we're convinced that God gives us kids so that we would do all in our power, right? There's no magic formulas, no guarantees, no one, two, threes, but that we would do all in our power to impress their hearts with a love for Him, to, to equip them, to make a difference in this world for Christ, and then more than anything else, to help them safely home to their Father in Heaven. So the ultimate purpose of parenting is, is spiritual. It's helping lead our kids to love God and, and follow Him. And once that clicked in for Amy and me, so much of our parenting, so much of our family changed. You know, that's something, this is a topic we talk a lot about on the good news, and we talk a lot about parenting and what our role is and where we are, and it always comes back to that, is we need to teach our kids the love of Christ because otherwise, where are they going to learn it? They're not, they're not going to learn it. And I think that's something that you've said is a lot of people, it's like the chances of turning, of giving your heart to Christ after you're 21 are so low that it's, that it's, so, that, so, it's so important for you to teach your kids during their formidable years. And can you kind of tell me a little bit about that and why, what is this phenomenon? Why does that happen? Sure. Well, in the 20th century, we really entered an age of delegation parenting where if you wanted your kids to learn math, you got them a tutor. If you want them to learn basketball, you got them a coach. If you want them to learn Jesus, you take them to Sunday school. Uh, you take them to youth group. And, and the parent really became the one 
who just dropped their kids off at all the experts who were responsible to teach them stuff. And listen, I love basketball, I love piano, I love youth group, all that stuff. But when it comes to the spiritual training of our kids, man, you lock yourself in a room with the Bible and you find out that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa are the primary spiritual trainers in the home. I mean, this just is not a job that we can delegate to anybody else. So what your children are receiving in your home spiritually, day after day, just in your normal family schedule, what they're experiencing by way of spiritual training in your home is the number one spiritual influence in their life, for good or for bad. And so visionary parenting is all about uh, helping parents catch a vision for that and then just to take some small steps forward. Well, how how can we make our home uh, a center for discipleship? I know it's a christian word, but how do we make our home a spiritual <laughs> transformation center so that our kids will follow Jesus? Right, right. I couldn't agree more. And uh, one thing that you kind of touched on there is I've learned through my kids, I'm a dad too, through my kids that I can tell my kids over and over and over and over something, but really it's their imitation of me that sticks with them. And it was when I do something, you know, my kids like to read rather than look at their iPads. And I had somebody say, hey, how did you get your kids? To, how did you convince your kids to read? And I said, no, he's imitating me reading. He's not reading because I made him. And so I, it's the same with anything, reading, learning the love of Christ, anything, learning to be a good discipleship, you know, just learning that spiritual health and growth so that you are leading, uh, you're going down the right path. And I, I love that you're doing this. So thank you all for listening. This is the good news. Uh, this is producer Dave. I'm sitting in for Angie. I'm talking with Dr. Rob Reno. He and his wife, Amy, wrote this book, Visionary Parenting, Capture a God-Sized Vision of Your Family. And we're really diving into some of these ideas. Now, Doc, the other day, <clears throat> I talked to a pastor, and he was telling me, he started this men's ministry, and he's been telling me, that there's a hierarchy in kind of spiritual education and that you go to church, a man, the leader of the group will go to church and be ministered by his pastor, by his church, and that it's his job to take that and minister to his family. Now you kind of say something similar where you say a man's role is to love, serve, lead, and it's in that specific order for a reason. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Well, your pastor's comment, there's a lot of value and wisdom in that, but it might be, uh, with all due respect, perhaps oversimplified. You probably couldn't make the case that the New Testament church only discipled men and that the men went home and discipled their wives and kids. Um, the church has a, a spiritual impact on everyone, uh, from the littlest to the oldest, men, women, boys, and girls, uh, particularly in that corporate worship service. You know, the early Christians, when they met for worship, uh, all the ages were together, and the worship was for everybody, and the preaching was for everybody. And so, what well, that would be a separate conversation. Now, you, the second question that you had uh, about the husband's role to love, serve, and lead—that's um, connected to another ministry we have called Visionary Marriage. So, we've got Visionary Parenting and Visionary Marriage, and that comes from Ephesians chapter five, verses twenty-five and twenty-six, where God gives the husband his job description. Now, when Amy and I got married, I didn't have any clue. I mean, I was a Christian and she was a Christian, but I didn't have any clue about the purpose of family, the purpose of marriage, the purpose of parenting, any of that stuff. So we're, we're playing catch up on, on all of this. But Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So there's that first job description, husbands, love. 
and we can go to 1 Corinthians 13 to get some help there. And then it says, who laid his life down for her, so that Christ did not come to be served, but to serve, and a husband's called to serve his wife. And then the beginning of verse 26 says, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So the ultimate purpose of the husband, and man, you talk about something I was clueless about. The ultimate purpose of the husband is to be a spiritual blessing and encourager to his wife, to make her holy, that God brings a husband into the life of a wife to, to help her become more like Christ, and the wife's role, vice versa. And we could get into that, too, but um, that is the area, when it comes to like being a spiritual encourager for Amy, well, put, put it this way, first 13 years of our marriage, we hardly ever prayed together. I hardly ever asked my own wife to pray with me, hardly ever even prayed for her. So it was 13 years into marriage that God had to do a major miracle and renovation in our marriage relationship, and the key ingredient that got that started was daily prayer together. You know, that's uh, really surprising to hear. You said you have been a pastor, a youth pastor, all sorts of things, and you were in the church. Oh, it's not like you converted or changed and, you know, except like you were, weren't religious at all. You didn't go to church. You didn't have faith, and that you accepted the love of Jesus and then changed. But you were right. in this the whole time, and that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, we don't understand. Here's what we've lost. We've lost the biblical connection between the Great Commission and the home. So if you go to a Bible-teaching church, you've heard the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, okay, baptizing them, teaching them, all that great stuff. And we immediately think about our neighbor and missions. But in the New Testament, the Great Commission starts in your house. It starts, if you're a married person, with your spouse with your brothers and sisters, with your children, if God has given them to you. And then it overflows from there. And once that clicked in for me, once all those scriptures leapt out of the page, that my responsibility and calling, like if I want to be a great commissioned Christian, a Christian who loves God, that's going to start in my house and overflow from there. Right. Oh, man. I, mean, I think this is great. So everybody listening, just in, if you just tuned in, this is Producer Dave. I'm sitting in for Angie on the good news here, and I'm talking to Dr. Rob Reno. He wrote a book with his wife, Amy, Visionary Parenting, Capture a God-Sized Vision for Your Family. Uh, what I'm getting from this, Doc, is you're, you're building up, and you said all this education, all this dedication, all this stuff is leading to legacy. What legacy are you leaving? Is is legacy something that you should really consider? Is it something that you encourage people to consider? And then, you know, like, I don't know exactly how to work through that. It's hard to say, oh, you know, 50 years from now, my kids will be whatever because of what I'm doing today. And so how do you kind of work through that? Well, you're putting your finger on something that I think every Christian parent's got to have, and that is they've got to have multi-generational vision. You have to understand that, that everything that you're struggling with in your home right now, all of the, the ups and downs and trials and tribulations of parenting, you're not just impacting your kids. You're impacting your unborn grandkids, your unborn great-grandkids, that all of the, the spiritual influence you have on your children is going to be passed, for good or for bad, to your grandchildren and then your great-grandchildren. And so this is, not only does it motivate us to do everything we possibly can to help our kids follow Jesus. Hey, you may not have the best grades. You may not be the best athlete. You may not have the cleanest room on the planet, whatever. You may not have all the world's measures of success, but, oh, I want you to love the Lord, and I want you to believe his word. I want you to shine for him. 
if we don't have that multi-generational vision, honestly, we can get in- incredibly discouraged uh, because parenting is so hard. And especially a lot of you listening, maybe you're the first Christian in your family um, or one of the new generation Christians in your family. There's a principle in Scripture that says we reap what we sow. And sometimes, you know, there, there's a delay between the sowing of the seed and the reaping of the fruit. So if I plant an apple seed this afternoon, you know, I don't get uh, apples later today. There's a delay between the sowing and the reaping. And sometimes there's a delay in our lives between what we sow and what we reap. So sometimes as parents, the things that we sow now are going to get reaped. The fruit of that is going to be in our grandkids' lives, right. going to be in our great-grandkids' lives, and we've got to have that multi-generational vision. Right. I mean, that's such an important message. I completely agree. However, my one concern is it all seems so overwhelming. And it it seems like, you know, trying to impress this on your kids every single day can kind of lean into the helicopter parenting, kind of focusing too much on the kids, kind of focusing too much on these things. Now, how, how do you kind of work through telling parents like that, you know, kind of work through the pressure of all of this that you're talking about? Yeah. Well, the, Two things. One is just asking God to turn your heart to your kids. You know, if you're listening, I would just ask you, you know, do you have, do you have a passion in your heart for your kids' spiritual condition? Do you have a passion in your heart that they would follow the Lord and love Him? Or are you more passionate about their kids in baseball or their grades or whatever it is? A lot of our hearts, I mean, my heart as a parent is constantly being pulled in not the best direction. So just asking God to give you a heart for the spiritual condition of your kids. And then, like, by way of action step, man, Deuteronomy 6 is the thing that, that again, God has used to transform our family and continue to. But the first action step in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, teach them diligently to your children, talk about God's Word when you sit at home. Those words right there, down through the centuries, that's been called family worship. Like, like the few minutes a family gets together for a a few minutes of bumbling, stumbling prayer, a few minutes of, of reading God's Word together. And that is starting family worship, trying to get a few moments of prayer, trying to get God's Word open. Sometimes it goes good, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's boring. But trying to get that, in, that habit built into our family has absolutely transformed our family relationships. So this is not like, okay, you need to open a seminary class in your house for your kids. This is, let's ask God to give us a heart for the spiritual condition of our children, and then let's ask the Lord to help us to start to put into place some of these biblical practices, you know, beginning uh, with this practice of family worship in the home. And in the Visionary Parenting book, we, we, we have a lot in there on, like, how to pray and read the Bible at home without killing each other. Okay. Right, um, right. You get a lot of spiritual resistance when you try this. Well, th- thank you so much. This is that we, we're right about the last minute of this interview, and thank you again for being here, Dr. Rob Reno. And uh, I love telling everybody about your book, Visionary Parenting. Can in the last couple of seconds here, can you tell us where we can get it, where we can find you, where we, what you're doing next, and everything like that, where we can keep in touch with you? Absolutely. Yeah, you can find Visionary Parenting wherever you buy your books. Uh, you can stay in touch with us a whole bunch of different ways on our Facebook page at Visionary Family Ministries, our YouTube channel, Visionary Family Ministries, uh, and our website is Visionary Fam, that's short for family, visionaryfam.com, and that'll also tell you about the Visionary Parenting and Visionary Marriage Conferences that we do all over the country, uh, and we may have one coming to your area, 
And if you don't see it in your area, then uh, drop us a line and let's talk about doing one because it would be great to come to your community, uh, strengthen families, strengthen parents, strengthen marriages for this kingdom vision we've been talking about. Well, thank you again for being here, everybody. Go get this book. It's It can change out how your life is going. It could help you with your marriage, with your kids, with a lot of different pressures. Thanks again, Dr. Rob Reno. And uh, keep in touch. If you ever come into town, we'd be happy to have you here in studio. And we'll be right back with more good news. God's Glory Boxes were started to help spread the glory of God, support Christian artists, and feed the hungry. At God's Glory Boxes, they get things from artists worldwide who share their love of God through their art, like paintings, jewelry, t-shirts, and pillowcases. Here's how it works. Go to the website godsglorybox.com. Choose a one-month, three-month, six-month, or 12-month subscription. Use the promo code GOODNEWS5 for $5 off a one-month subscription or GOODNEWS10 for $10 off a longer subscription. You can get God's Glory Boxes for yourself or as a gift, cancel whenever you want, and the best part is that for each box sold, God's Glory Boxes will donate five meals to hungry people in the community. Help spread God's glory today by starting your subscription at godsglorybox.com. And remember to use the promo codes GOODNEWS5 or GOODNEWS10 to take advantage of your special Good News discount. All right, I have Melissa. She's an ambassador with ARC. You know I love ARC. I get great deals there, but the money goes back to the community and helps so many people. Melissa, tell me about ARC. ARC is just an amazing foundation who helps people with intellectual disabilities, and it's just amazing. I love working there. I've worked there for almost five years. Well, and I feel like there's a family environment there. Now, when I shop at ARC, we always say shopping with a purpose. So let's say I spend $10 at ARC, but how does it help other people? When you buy stuff at the ARC, it helps people with intellectual disabilities. It helps the community. I like working at the ARC thrift store. It's really fun. So well, I think you have such a fantastic personality. I think one of the best things about ARC are the ambassadors like yourself because I think you guys are the heart of the organization. And I find so much positivity and encouragement. And I want ARC to come to my house with a truck. What do I call? You call 303-238-JANE. Again, the number is 303-238-JANE. The website is arcthrift.org. Again, it's arcthrift.org. You rock, Melissa. Thank you for coming in to talk to me about art. They rot in institutions for years, sometimes for decades. At 16, they're given a ticket, a bus ticket. They stand at the bus station, and a car drives up and offers them a bogus job in places like Italy and Germany. And an innocent young girl goes into a car and is never seen again. She's beaten and raped and abused until she's brought to where she'll be sold, and they sell her 30 to 50 times a day. The Orphan's Hands have homes in Moldova where these young girls can come and be trained and saved. Your giving today can transform an orphan's life from a life of being trafficked and used and abused into a princess of the kingdom of God. You have power in your giving today. KLTT.TheOrphansHands.org or 1-800-205-7100. Philip Cameron for the Orphan's Hands saying we appreciate you and Merry Christmas. Angie Austin here. I think you're well aware, I know I am, that a large percentage of our population is overweight. 
And sometimes due to the embarrassment or the fear of stigma, people with high BMIs choose not to seek regular medical screenings and are therefore more likely to have undiagnosed medical conditions. But I wasn't aware that sometimes the diagnostic devices, the tools that doctors have that are designed, you know, to help uh, you know, diagnose us aren't as effective on people who are larger. Uh, so we have new information and we have two experts to help us because, you know, we would like people, regardless of their weight, to have equal access to good health care. Joining us, uh, the two experts, Dr. David Fetzer. He's the medical director of ultrasound at both UT Southwestern Medical Center and Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas. And also Dr. Francisco Brom. He is a director of global ultrasound marketing at Siemens. And I'm just really happy to have both of you here. Welcome. Happy to be here. All right. So my mom struggled with her weight her whole life. And to me, it's been this ongoing battle. Uh, And then I'm married to a six foot six guy who weighs 180. So our kids are all these like pencils with hair, you know. So um, I I came from a background where, you know, weight was such a struggle. And my mom was very embarrassed. So this really hit home for me um, that that people not only have been not seeking when they're overweight um, as as much health care, but they don't have the tools sometimes to accurately diagnose them like they would a thinner person. That, that is very true, and as a radiologist or a physician that uses medical imaging, uh, it's very frustrating. I see almost uh, every day uh, patients who are, for instance, too big to fit in an MRI machine or too heavy to be lifted by a CAT scan machine, and one of my areas of expertise in ultrasound, some patients are too big for us to be able to take ultrasound pictures within their body, so it's not even embarrassing and frustrating for you know, patients around the, the world and here in the United States and maybe some of your listeners, but it's also very frustrating for physicians like me who would like to be able to provide the same high-quality level of care to all of my patients, uh, independent of their size or gender or uh, body habitus or age. And can you imagine, Angie, you have this patient that uh, finally uh, got the courage to actually seek medical attention because he was in so much pain. And then he goes to the doctor. The doctor doesn't know what's wrong with him. Um, they sent him to the imaging center to get pictures. And then it doesn't fit inside the MR or the CT palate cannot hold his weight or her weight. And uh, ultrasound images are just not good enough uh, to give the definite diagnosis to clinicians, which is why for us it's so important that we are here to raise awareness that there are new technologies and um, we you should seek this information out so you can talk to your doctors with more confidence. Well, let's talk about that new technology because, no, I can't imagine someone being in pain finally have the courage, you know, to come forward and not not be able to fit into one of the devices or machines. I mean, not only the embarrassment, but the pain and the fear. That's right. The pain, the fear, the anxiety, and in some cases, the cost as well because they are sent to multiple tests and that incurs more and more costs. So it's not a very good experience. And uh, now we have a new ultrasound device called the Accuson Sequoia. And the Sequoia um, allows clinicians now to penetrate well deep into the abdomen so they can see the liver very clearly, um, the kidneys as well, and use this technology to plan for treatment and, and, and refer these patients to the right care centers. Now, we were talking about ultrasounds. Of course, um, many of us are familiar with them, you know, because we've been pregnant and they've looked at the baby. What else do ultrasound machines do in terms of you're talking about diagnosing issues? What, what do you use them for specifically? 
Well, ultrasound has become a very critical tool in modern medicine, and it's now not just used to uh, see how your baby is growing, but also to look inside of other parts of the body. Uh, Francisco alluded to the fact we use ultrasound very commonly for diseases of the liver, or the kidneys, or of the pancreas. We can also use ultrasound to look in certain organs like the thyroid gland in the neck or muscles and tendons of the arms and legs. It's also used for minimally invasive medical procedures such as injections or biopsies. Ah. And we are now in doctor's offices, in the emergency room. Uh, the military uses them uh, for uh, on-the-site care in trauma uh, situations. And then we have high-power advanced ultrasound uh, units in the radiology departments and imaging centers to do a whole host of advanced medical imaging. So it's become a very critical tool in modern medicine. So let's say, you know, someone has a high BMI and they're going in uh, because they're having some issues or they just need some general tests um, and uh, the ultrasound is part of that. What, how do they advocate for themselves? What, the, what should they ask their doctors? That's a very uh, important question because not every imaging center is going to have 